One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, my name's Stuart Miles, and welcome to the Pocket Podcast. OnePlus has announced the OnePlus 10 Pro, a new flagship smartphone in China this week. But where we'd normally see a fast global rollout, so far the company is keeping quiet on when those of us in the West will be able to get it. Pokalens Cam Bunton joins me to talk about the new announcement. Meanwhile, during CES, I caught up with the president and CEO of the Connectivity Standards Alliance to talk about the company's latest standard, Matter, and how it's promising to revolutionize the way our smart home devices talk to each other. And Pocket editor Chris Hall is here to talk about the Amazon Echo Show 15, the company's giant display that hopes to help making interacting with Alexa and your Alexa-enabled devices, well, easier. But does the huge interactive display work? Stay tuned to find out. But first, back to you, Cam. Tell us more about the OnePlus 10 Pro announcement. So it's the classic sort of phone from OnePlus. It's your all-powerful, big flagship phone with impressive specs, fast charging, and promising-sounding cameras. And so let's let's break this down because OnePlus have, have kind of over the years they have this flagship, don't they? And then they have a kind of cheaper, sort of more budget-friendly, like the Nord range, isn't it, and stuff. So yeah. this is definitely in the top sphere, the, the sort of big daddy, the, the the boss lady, all that kind of yeah, thing. absolutely. That's that's the phone that it will be this year. It's the sort of top tier ultra premium phone. I think the interesting thing this year is they haven't launched it alongside a regular OnePlus Ten, which is what they would normally do. A smaller one with similar specs, but a slightly cheaper build and less cameras normally. And so let's if it is the flagship phone, that's good because that means we get to talk about exciting new things. What yes. exciting new things have they got? Well, so the camera system sounds quite interesting. It seems like they're going very much for that pro market of photographers. So they're talking a lot about how they've got second generation camera tuning for the colors in partnership with Hasselblad, but also that you can shoot in 12-bit RAW, which will give you massive photos, but with lots of data for color editing and stuff like that. But also, they've got this new ultra-wide camera that can shoot up to 150-degree ultra-wides, which will give you much, much wider uh, photos than what your traditional ultra-wide camera would do on most yeah, other I was gonna, phones. I was going to ask about that. How does, how does that compare to... How does all that camera stuff... I, I know we haven't seen the device yet to actually... No, it's hard to say without it, but seeing it. Um, how's, how's it looking from a spec point of view, that ultra camera compared to, say, the likes of the Galaxy S20 20 range? I or mean, the... it always looks good, but the thing with the OnePlus phones is they'll they'll make something sound really good on the spec sheet and they make it sound <laughs> impressive, but then by the time it comes out, we realise it's not as good as they said it would be. For one reason or another, there always seems to be an issue with the OnePlus camera system. So we'll see if they maybe finally have fixed that this year. Now, the catch, apart from uh, all these specs and stuff, is that it's not out yet. No, it's not out yet. They launched it in China only, which is a bit of a strange move from OnePlus because historically it was launched as this Chinese brand that was attractive to Western markets and Western uh, tech nerds. But they slowly changed, moved away from that. And of course... They are now essentially just part of Oppo, um, which is a big Chinese brand, which does lots of phones in China. So 
Um, maybe they're moving more into that sort of strategy and moving along those lines. And so we kind of this is one of the first handsets that have come out with the Snapdragon 8 Gen 1, which was announced just before Christmas, wasn't it, at the beginning of yes, December? that's correct. Um, do we think then that, although that's exciting, that by the time it does get to the West, to the UK, to the US, that others like the Samsung Galaxy S22, uh, you know, phones from Huawei, from Honor, from, from you know, we're seeing lots of other Chinese launches at the moment. Do you think yes. they'll all get to market a lot quicker? And then the OnePlus will be like, oh, it's just a, it's just another... I mean, it's so. certainly possible, isn't it? I th- it sounds like the Samsung phones are going to be here much actually in the market available to buy by the end of February. And with OnePlus saying that these aren't arriving here until later in 2022, um, they could they may end up not being the first to market. So it's already going to be a crowded space by the time this phone launches. And do you think that therefore OnePlus has enough, you know, OnePlus has always had a huge legion of fans. And, yeah. you know, there is a, you know, people get people get very passionate, and very excited about OnePlus. Do you think those people will be happy to wait? You know, part of that appeal has been new tech very quickly. Yes. Do you think people will still be happy to wait for the brand? Or do you think that shine is slowly fading? And that, although this sounds an exciting phone on the spec sheet, by the time it does come out, as you said, it'd be a crowded market. And so people will be like, you know what, I'm just, I'm going to go Samsung this year. Yeah, of course. And I think the the one thing you, you find is the early adopters of OnePlus phones were attracted by the price point. It was it was a high-end, powerful phone that didn't cost very much at all. And with the latest OnePlus phones, we've seen over the last few years that the price has gone up quite considerably. And now you're looking at phones that cost nearly £800, £900 by the time it launches in the UK, for instance. So they're no longer hitting that that target. So um, I'm not sure if those early adopters and those early fans are the ones that are buying these phones anymore. And so is this it for OnePlus for the moment? Are we likely, because I know they kind of come out quickly with various devices. We've obviously got this one. This will appear hopefully in the UK later in the year. That's all we've been told at the moment. It is, do you think that they'll continue? Do you think they'll take this approach with, with their other phones in China? Or do you think we'll see, you know, like the Nord range and things like that getting a faster rollout? globally across the year or is this a new trend that we're going to see i'm not i'm not sure it's a new trend um i think there are other phones that they launch in different regions that they launch in specific regions based on what they think that market wants and so you'll have one particular nord phone that launches in india and asia that won't ever see the light of day in the uk and the us some phones launch in europe that don't end up in the us so I think they'll carry on with that strategy. We'll see a phone here that launches here first that won't necessarily be available in India or America. Um, I just think for this flagship series, it's it's a bit of a change and something that we haven't seen from them before. Still to come, Chris gives us his verdict on the Amazon Echo Show 15. I believe that the, the size is good. I think, it, I think it's the right size for job. I also think it's the right form factor, the way that it's, um, the way that it has been set up to work We've come a long way since the first days of the smart home movement with companies like Amazon, Google and Apple all trying to dominate the space alongside smaller players like Philips Hue, Honeywell, Eve, Arlo and others. And while we were promised a home where everything would just seamlessly talk to each other with minimum fuss, the reality is far from it. Companies within the ecosystem are all keen to control the space which in turn has created various silos that just, well, don't want to talk to each other. 
There have been attempts to fix this, of course. If this, then that, the service tried, but ultimately has been locked out from accessing many devices. And so it's with a breath of fresh air, then, to hear that the organisation behind Zigbee is trying, and so far succeeding, to get all the relevant companies to abide by one single standard, called Matter. During CES, I remotely caught up with Tobin Richardson, the President and CEO of the Connectivity Standards Alliance, to find out more. I started by asking him what the Connectivity Standards Alliance actually does. Yeah, you bet. Uh, the Connectivity Standards Alliance is uh, similar to many other industry organizations where companies come together uh, and they agree on how their devices and their products will talk to each other. Normally, they may create uh, kind of independent uh, ecosystems of their own. When it gets to a point where the market is big enough, uh, there's recognition by companies that, okay, our, our devices have to play nicely together and we need to do that through a neutral body uh, that has proven kind of standards development processes, uh, certification components as well. Um, and so then they come to not-for-profit organizations like the Connectivity Standards Alliance um, uh, to create those standards that they can all rely on. And that's really kind of the level playing field that we create. And so we end up being in some ways kind of a referee for uh, for interoperability in connected devices, whether in smart homes, smart buildings, and so forth. And so there, there are many organizations like ours. This is uh, how you enjoy Wi-Fi today. This is how you enjoy Bluetooth um, and you know several organizations like that that uh, help create um, kind of a level playing field in terms of technology focused on consumer uh, experiences, uh, but really helping companies uh, build to a common common interoperability model. That sounds like a really difficult job. <laughs> and and I was just wondering how hard is it to get everybody to work to the same standards? Yeah, it's um, it's a really fascinating job. Uh, and and it, it's in some times, in some ways, an esoteric area that no one ever hears about, but it, it has to work really well. Almost like air traffic control. You, no one getting on a plane cares too much about that. They just assume that the plane's going to take off at the right time and land at the right airport. Um, yeah, but getting that all orchestrated does take... Uh, a fair amount of work. And to your point, it is not an easy job. Um, I think, you know, one of the important parts to, to consider there, though, is that it is, it's a, an alignment of kind of joint interest from industry where there's a recognition from these different companies that, okay, we, we've tested the market, we've tested the use case, there is something interesting about a connected light bulb. However, we're not going to own the whole market. Um, and so, and when the market gets to a certain point, that's when the companies kind of step back and say, okay, we, we have to get together to work on this. Um, and part of that is coaxing, uh, part of that is uh, self-realization, but it's always balanced against, you know, delivering better consumer experiences um, and, and also really aligning commercial interests. So not many companies are going to come before they're ready um, and recognize uh, both through their own product planning and strategy that they're, you know, that the market for smart home is going to either grow much better than it is or that mm. by not doing this, you'll actually uh, preclude the market from taking place in the first place. And I think it's a combination here that um, that's led to both Zigbee and, and also Matter Now. Now, one of the things that we've been, we've been hearing quite a lot on not only the Pocket podcast, but also on the site is that, is that there seems to be quite a lot of, of kind of I describe it as siloing of smart home technologies recently and, and frustration between you know, trying from users and from um, manufacturers of, of trying to get their products to work with other devices. You know, Amazon Echo likes, you know, Alexa likes its own silo, HomeKit likes its own silo, Google Assistant likes its own silo. How do you see, how can we stop that? Yeah, well, uh, that's that's the problem that we're solving with Matter. <laughs> um, and, and that is, it. you know, I talked a minute ago about how some of these organizations can be seen as esoteric and just not kind of in the background. 
Um, this has been one of the easiest uh, pain points uh, to explain to uh, to friends, uh, you know, personal friends of mine who don't quite, you know, spend their days uh, trying to get uh, technology companies to work together. Uh, when I mention that, you know, we're, we're looking to get, you know, these two ecosystems to work together, we're trying to get these light bulbs to work with with those light bulbs. The the reactions immediate. It was like, you know, the faster you can do that, the better, because that's an actual real pain point. Um, so it it is uh, it is something that I think everybody feels. Um, and and again, it's that it's that combination of you know, companies are delivering really interesting, really good consumer experiences, but it's limited. It's only limited mm -hmm. really to, um, uh, to, to their own ecosystem of devices and products. Um, and it doesn't extend outside of except through, uh, you know, different works with programs, different APIs. But what that does, it not, not only creates pain and confusion for consumers, it creates overhead and complexity for the product developers, which then goes right back to the consumers, uh, creating um, you know complexity and and, uh, and pain. Um, and so, really, coming to this kind of common ground, what's the the highest common denominator we can deliver in terms of interoperability? Then these companies can focus on building a better light bulb, building a better you know connected experience, not focusing just on making sure that these products actually just talk to each other. And so that's uh, that's really the the task in front of us today. And so, how do you? Obviously, we had Zigbee, which you know some people that have been paying attention to smart home will be aware of, and and others are, are perhaps never heard of that table or think it's something out of the magic roundabout. Um, how you know? Obviously, we had that. We now have Matter. How is Matter different? Better? You know, is that replacing it? Can you just explain that a tiny bit for us, please? Yeah, sure. Um, and uh, part of that's a technical rationale, which I'll, I'll try to save your, your audience from. Uh, but there, uh, the, the, the main point here is, is twofold, right? So the first part is uh, Matter delivers an internet protocol-based interoperability standard. Uh, Zigbee is a, is a top to bottom, great technical um, standard and has proven itself. And in fact, we saw um, near record numbers again this last year in terms of new products. Uh, so that's you know, a standard that's been embraced uh, and, and is an open standard. Um, what Matter delivers is you know, an interoperability standard that can run over Wi-Fi, run over Thread, works on really virtually uh, most of the devices that are in homes today that are, are supported by Wi-Fi and Thread um, and, and enable uh, you know some of the uh, some of the benefits of an internet protocol. The the reason that matter is so important is, is secondarily uh, that it has such broad support. It has broad support from ecosystems, uh, not just in Silicon Valley, but in uh, in Shenzhen as well as Paris and Germany and the UK. And and that's really where these these standards make sense uh, uh, succeed is when they are supported by that broad. Uh, broad spectrum of, of companies. And so when you have um, all of the major companies, as well as the, the medium and smaller ones, buying mm -hmm. into a single uh, uniform and unified standard, that's when you're going to you know, finally see uh, the, the bringing down of those walls and, that is and those isolated uh, ecosystems that, uh, that don't allow us to reach kind of, kind of full potential. Now, we've seen uh, a few, quite a few announcements at CES with Matter included yeah. from smart locks and and, and displays and, and other things do you think i know it's not fully finalized yet as a standard do you think people should wait fully before they go and buy new products with matter in, in included no no i think you know the, the driver and this is one of the important parts of standards right i mean the important part is getting the experience you, you want today you know we're looking at a couple of new thermostats in our house um we'll be getting you know a couple that are um are, are matter enabled uh, obviously it's not out 
uh, just yet, but that's something that we're interested in. But we'll, we'll go buy those today. Um, and, you know, we know some of those, if they're uh, Wi-Fi based or if they're um, other companies have indicated that um, some of their products will be up, updated. It's just really important, you know, go out and get the one that makes sense for you. A lot of this will be worked out by the companies themselves um, and, uh, and just in terms of software updates and things like that. So um, we're very excited about Matter, but um, that, that shouldn't preclude uh, uh, consumers, you and me, going out and, and getting good products today. That, that's what this is supposed to be about. Matter solves a lot of those issues um, and going into the, into the future, and, and uh, we'll start seeing that here in the, in the And so from that point, it's a case of if you buy something today that, that isn't necessarily Matter-enabled, it could be in the future because of, of the backward compatibility, so to speak. And do you think this is, you know, it's very obviously... It's about creating a uh, a standard that will last and that won't, in two years' time, need to be completely rewritten and changed. How how difficult is that to create? A, you know, a standard that will last you know, the test of time. Yeah. But also, do you think that matter will be the last standard, or do you think there'll be always need for more standards? Yeah, no. Um, so so two points on on that. One of the benefits to a standard that lasts is that it's built and created by companies that actually build products that last. And that's, um, and that's one of the benefits of our membership and our community is that the people and the engineers um, that are participating and driving um, the matter standard are the actual engineers and, and software architects who, who work with um, you know, all of these market leading products. So when they build the standard, they know what's worked. They know, uh, you know, uh, within their own company, you know, what's worked in terms of a joining process, commissioning, uh, when does a device fall off the network, uh, what what kind of commands, you know, trigger problems in the network and things like that. All that knowledge um, means that the standard itself is that much stronger. If you and I, you know, we're, let's say we're EE or good, uh, good computer science majors and come out and theoretically put together what we think is a, a good standard, that might be a, a nice standard, but we've never implemented it. Um, and these companies in the hundreds and these engineers in the thousands um, have lived and breathed this for the better part of 10, sometimes 20 years. Um, and because of that experience and that deployment experience, more, more importantly, that better ensures uh, that the, the standard will be long lasting. I believe that matter will be one of those standards that lasts the test of time, um, which is also another reason why I really like the logo, because it is a, it is a, a, a from my perspective, a, a obviously a little subjective but it is a um it's a good logo um and i think you know it'll be important for consumers to be able to see that uh that three-pronged uh, logo as they look for devices that just work together um your second part about you know whether there will be other standards um in terms of a smart home uh or language for the internet of things i think you know we'll see little um uh specific efforts in different market segments um, and different regional markets, perhaps, and, you know, in, in different new product areas. And that's great. And I think what you'll see is that, you know, some of those may end up standing, you know, standing alone. But I think what you'll actually see is a lot of that kind of come into matter. And I think a lot of that will be contributed to matter as a, as a, you know, a growing and blossoming device to device language. Obviously, you know, from the CSA's perspective, we're, we're really, um, really excited about the, the benefit of having all the experience and implementation of Zigbee and how that's built out what is the actual language uh, within Matter. Um, and so, you're, you know, consumers and product manufacturers and developers get the benefit of that. And I suppose the final question I have is, is with all that in mind, do you see that 
this is just the start of the journey for matter or are we halfway through or we're almost at the end already you know how what kind of roadmap do you see it falling out you know flowing out to yeah i you know that 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 begs a larger question about where we are with the internet of things uh, and i think we're really just at the beginning i think Mm -hmm. we're just proving out which is really interesting too right i mean we're just proving out that smart home is has useful use cases that people are actually interested in this technology and using it it's not just a technology looking for a solution or looking for a, a, a problem and that's and that is um in that sense matter gets us a, a core baseline that is uh, you know unparalleled in terms of what we've been able to achieve so far as an industry so in that sense it's a it's a home run um but at the same time the the market is just beginning i i, you know, I think in terms of if you look at all of the different drivers all of the different uh uh, you know, experiences that can be delivered um, where we, we're, we're not yet there in terms of an ambient uh, experience in our home. We're not yet there in terms of smart cities are not smart. They're just connected cities. Right. And so there are so many different market segments um, and they're they're reachable. They're understandable. They'll benefit once all of this data starts getting generated and you and I can, you know, can have good, good, uh, solid belief that our data is private. And then we can use that appropriately to enable AI uh, supported experiences and things like that. And I think, I think that will be um, really where this starts to hit its zenith. None of that happens without matter. Um, and so it's a, a critical uh, and a critical component and building block to that. But, but I think we're really just at the beginning. Um, so it's exciting to see how matter will grow and how those experiences will grow. Amazon has introduced the Echo Show 15 late last year, taking its family of connected devices into a new realm, pushing out a larger size and inviting you to mount it on a wall for all to enjoy. But what do you get by going bigger? Pocket Lint's Chris Hall has been using the new device and is here to tell us more. So, Chris, is it any good? Bigger is better is often the mantra, and I hate to disappoint you and say in this case that bigger may not actually be better. Mm. Um, which might come as something as a, as a surprise. The general premise of it, I think, is fantastic. And Amazon has obviously sold the Echo Show 15 to be wall-mounted as a wall-mounted device. You open the box, you have the wall-mounting kit in there, including the screws, the screws and the plugs, uh, and so, even a drilling template. So you can just drill holes in the wall, hang it on the wall, and off you go. So let's just rewind ever so quickly. Um, Echo Show 15, 15-inch device. Yes, you don't put it on a counter, you put it on a wall. Well, that's the intention. If you want to put it on a counter, you can buy a separate stand, which costs $30 or £30. You screw that onto the back of it and uh, off you go. And so you put it, presumably, you put it in a, in a hallway or a kitchen, some like, you know, high footfall place in your house, and it becomes kind of like a, a digital notice board? Yeah, that's that's one of the sides of it. Um I mean, the Echo Show has always been a fairly communal device. You put it in an area and it's displaying things to you all the time, unlike the other Echo devices, which are just speakers. And obviously they share the music and anyone can ask the questions. But Echo Show has always been about showing you extra information. Pushing it out to 15.6 inches means it's actually quite big. So you can put it up and, yeah, the idea is that it becomes more like a hub for your home, that it's more like a family notice board and that kind of stuff. And so there have been some changes to accommodate those things. So in the past, you just had a circulating carousel of screens on the Echo Show. Mm. You get a screen that showed weather or um, something that was happening in the news or maybe a recipe. And you still get that. But now we have widgets and widgets are the 
big introduction on the Echo Show 15. They allow you to have some information that you keep on the display permanently. So that might be weather or calendar or recipes. You can kind of see where I'm going with here because yeah. information that you can put in the widgets is the same as the information that it was already showing you on different screens. And that really is where it starts to sort of come apart because there isn't actually anything that's really new. I mean, you can add sticky notes and they're always displayed, but they have to sit in the same rigid structure of rectangles. You can't just say, create the sticky note and then put it anywhere on the display. You can't resize it or drag it around with your finger. It's a sort of very limited interaction on what you can actually do. And I think that there are, I mean, that, 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 it all points to software enhancement that could make the Echo Show 15 a lot better than it currently is. There's all sorts of gaps. And I lived with it for about a month. I had it up through the whole Christmas period. You know, everybody was interacting with it. And you started to find places where things just didn't seem to work correctly. So there is a widget for music, for example, hmm. but it shows you what you have played. And so you can tap something and go back into playing it. But when music is actually playing, it either takes over the entire screen. So that's 15-inch that says, you know, this is the song that's playing. Or you can go back to the home screen, at which point there is no indication of what is playing at all. And the widget then is the same as it was before. It doesn't give you player controls or anything. It it just seems a little bit backward. Another example, there are smart home uh, there's there's a, a widget which gives you access to smart home settings. But if you tap on the widget itself, it doesn't open into anything else. It doesn't open into the smart home section. You'd have to go somewhere else to find that. Now, obviously, a lot of what you do with the Echo Show, you can do by voice. But one of the advantages of having the screen is you can interact in all these different ways just through, through touch if you don't want to use voice. And, and that's where, you know, a lot of this stuff just doesn't seem to be joined up and working quite as well as it could be. And so do you think that if they were able to solve some of these software problems and let's face it you know we've seen quite an aggressive fix you know solution rollout of different features and stuff from amazon over the years do you think this will become a device that you know that you and your family would be keen to use yeah i think there is a lot of potential here i think that with a lot more time and thought about how the software works and allowing for a lot more customization or even let users create their own widgets for the things that they want to do, then you could have something that was genuinely useful. At the moment, it just kind of feels a little bit too easy. It's just a slight step forward from from the previous Echo Show devices. And in some ways, it's a step back as well, because I used to have the Echo Show 10 in my kitchen, and I moved to the Echo Show 15 and found that the speaker quality is actually worse. And I use that as the sole music device for my kitchen. Mm. And the Echo Show 15 definitely sounds thinner than the older device uh, probably because it has that slim form factor because it's mounted on the wall so you don't have as much body for the speakers but there's definitely work to be improved and i suspect that amazon will look at this feedback and the second generation echo show 15 will will probably address all of these things but yeah there's some way to go i think and do you think they've got the size right is you know we've gone from the tent you know sort of the, the sizes are getting bigger and bigger and, and do you think 15 i mean 15 is kind of like a you know it's it's a big chunky monitor on your on your wall isn't it it's, it's not probably big enough for a, a tv but it's it's sort of feels like a laptop screen do you do you feel that it was good or do you, do you think you should go like really go out and say like well actually i want a 30 inch 
Echo Show. Yeah, I think um, I think the problem that you have there is you're then running into the realms of televisions. And, you know, you can buy a 32-inch TV. That's commonplace. You could have a 32-inch TV with a fire stick on the back and it would be fairly similar to that. Um, I think there's a compromise between that size and the cost and everything else. Um, at this size, it's actually... It is a good size. You know, it's a good size that you can see it from across the room. If you want the information to read off the screen, it's big enough to do all of that stuff. You know, there is the space to split it into the two halves so you can have one half of the screen showing you your carousel of normal stuff and your widgets sitting there all the time and you don't feel like you're missing out. So I believe that the the size uh, is is good. I think it I think it's the right size for job. I also think it's the right form factor, the way that it's um the way that it has been set up to work. Um, the wall mountain idea. I think all of that is really good. It's just, um, I, I think there's some more development that needs to go into it. And finally, we, I suppose the big question here is, is have you taken it down and gone back to the 10? Well, no, actually, I really like clearing the worktop space, you know, not having something else sitting on a mantelpiece somewhere. So wall mounting is actually the solution that I prefer. So I'm not going to go back to the Echo Show 10 uh, just because, you know, I'd like having more space to chop onions and things like that. Well, that's it for this week's show. Thanks for listening. Until next time, Pip Pip. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.